Holy Spirit, as we turn to your word, help us hear from you and be changed by you. In your name, amen. Well, great to have all of you here. And those of you who are joining us online, um, thanks for being here uh, on Sunday morning. Start with a question of all the things that Jesus could have left behind, like a university, a government, a charity. Why on earth would he leave behind a church to carry his message to the whole world, especially since churches are often so messed up? Like, it just seems like a bad idea, right? Like, you do not want God as your HR director because he hires all the wrong people. And I think for a lot of folks, the word church has just negative connotations. Uh, Recently, someone asked me, uh, why do you leave the sanctuary service? You know, because I preach over there, and then I come over here. He said, why do you leave the sanctuary service when you finish preaching? Are you tired and need to rest? (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm taking a nap in the back. But for a lot of folks, that's their image of church. Like absent, taking a nap at best, irrelevant, at worst, a negative force. So what is the purpose of the church? We're doing a sermon series called Be Thou My Vision about how God guides us as individuals and collectively as a church through really uncertain times. And last week we talked about how one of the ways we get courage is to look back at the ways that God has guided us in the past. That's how we get courage in uncertain times. How has God guided us before, both as individuals and as a church? And we showed you a video of some of the ways God has used this church for the past 67 years to make a difference all around the world. And so today, I want to talk about where God is leading us into the future as a church to extend what he's already been doing in our past and how being part of that brings us more meaning, courage, purpose, hope, and joy. And we see that in today's scripture, which is from John chapter 20. Jesus has been raised from the dead after being crucified, and he's meeting with his his disciples, and he's essentially starting the church and telling them what they're supposed to do. And it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the religious leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And the capitalized words there, the words I've capitalized, give us kind of a a clue what Jesus intends the church, not just us, but any church, to be. Starting with the last capitalized word, send. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. We are a sent people. Sent to help other people know Jesus. The number of Christians in America is in free fall. Every year, 7,000 churches close, not going the right direction. Folks are not going to come to us. We have to go to them. So we are sent. Sent to do what? Well, that's the other capitalized words. The text says the disciples feared the religious leaders. Fear. Is there any fear in our world today? Is there any fear in your life? No. Josh says no. But the rest of you, (laughs) right? Like fear about jobs, fear about the economy, fear about grades, fear about social standing and position, fear, 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 fear. But look what Jesus does. He showed them the wounds on his hand and side that he got when he was crucified. Because what he's saying is, look, it's me. I was dead, but now I'm alive, which means if we know Jesus, we don't even have to fear death because we'll just rise again like he did. And even when something terrible happens, God will just use it for good the way he used Jesus' crucifixion to pay the price for our sins. 
In a fearful world, we, his disciples, are sent to bring the courage that Jesus gives us and his love. Because by showing them his hands, he's also saying, see how much I love you? I love you so much I'd rather die than lose you, so I did. We are sent to bring Jesus courage and to help people experience his love. And then another word Jesus uses here, uses it twice actually, peace. Which in the Bible does not mean absence of conflict or calm or serenity. The biblical word for peace is shalom. And it means total flourishing, flourishing in every dimension. It means social, relational, spiritual, economic flourishing. That's what that word peace means biblically. Jesus sends his disciples to bring total flourishing in our world. An end to racial injustice, an end to loneliness. Help the poor thrive. Help people know Jesus. And when we do that, that brings the last word, joy. The disciples were overjoyed. That's the church. The church is not an institution. It's not a political lobbying organization. The church is not a vehicle for potlucks, though those are good. The church is a community of people who are being transformed by Jesus and are sent to bring Jesus love, courage, flourishing, and joy through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls that the kingdom of God. Does our world need the kingdom of God? Thank you. Some of you are awake. Does our world need courage and joy and total flourishing? Yes. I mean, rates of suicide and depression are skyrocketing, particularly among youth. Poverty, addiction, marriages are struggling, and people don't know that God loves them enough to die for them and are headed for a godless eternity if we don't tell them about Jesus. So our mission is what it's always been. Our mission is to participate with Jesus in furthering the kingdom of God on the east side and the places in the world God sends us. And the kingdom of God is when things are happening the way God wants them to happen, when there is total flourishing, when the poor are being brought out of poverty, when people are discovering Jesus, when people are experiencing courage, hope, meaning, purpose, and joy, when divisions are being erased. That's our mission. And not just us, we do this with other churches. It's not just us, but it's our mission, and it never changes. Our mission never changes. But how we do that mission from time to time, season to season, does change sometimes. So starting in January, our elders and pastors, we started meeting and talking, we prayed, we fasted, we discerned, where is God taking us in the next couple of years? And we have discerned through all that prayer and fasting that over the next three to five years, God is leading us to partner with Jesus in bringing his kingdom in three specific ways. First, by equipping our whole congregation to be fully engaged disciples. There is a difference between going to church and being a disciple. Going to church is good, that's good, but there's more, more courage, more hope, more meaning, more purpose in being a disciple. And a disciple is not someone who just goes to church. That too, that's good. A disciple is someone who's becoming like Jesus. And last spring, we, we did a whole sermon series on six different characteristics of disciple. Disciples are marked by Jesus' love, Equipped and eager to share the good news of Jesus. They're healers of injustice who live sacrificially and are connected to a multicultural, multi-generational community and obey Jesus as Lord through prayer and scripture. 
Now, lots of details how we're gonna do this for all of us, and we'll talk more about that on Vision Night, September 26th, but for now, I'm gonna give you a promise. I'm gonna give you a promise. If you are part of any group here at Bell Press, if you are in an all-in group, if you serve in our parking lot team, if you are a greeter, if you are on our accordion polka committee, some of you are like, hey, they have one of those? No, of course we don't. That would be stupid. <laughs> if you're part of anything here at Bell Press, you won't just... I, someone plays the accordion here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you are part of any group here at Bell Press, you won't just be part of that group, though that in itself is a good thing. We will also help you grow as a disciple and develop these six characteristics. Because our mission is to participate in the supernatural work of Jesus of bringing his kingdom. And, dis- and churchgoers won't get that done. Just going to church won't get that done, but disciples will. Churchgoers don't change the world, but disciples do. And just going to church will not give us the fullness of the hope and courage and joy that Jesus wants to give, but when we're disciples, we experience more of that. We're gonna make us all disciples. Second focus is to empower every generation to reach young families. Now, that does not mean That does not mean, if you're not a young family, if you're single or you're younger or you're older, that does not mean that there's nothing here for you. That's not what that means. But we feel called to pay special attention to young families because the east side is experiencing growth in ways that most cities aren't right now. And a lot, demographic data shows, a lot, a lot, a lot of the people moving here are diverse young families from all over the world. And this church was planted 67 years ago to reach the people on the east side. And 67 years ago, a lot of those folks were young families, and that's true today. That's our mission field. That's what we're here to reach. So we want to give special attention to them. And families are under pressure in ways they never have been before. More families are single-parent families in a culture that's built for for two-parent families. The amount of time kids have to spend in sports has exploded over the last 30 years, which is making families busier than ever. And getting into college is harder than it's ever been. And one of the ways you get into college is to have things on your resume like sports, so you almost kind of have to do it. Financially, both parents usually have to work just to make ends meet. And families are flying apart because of the pressure. We are called to be an all-generations church that brings Jesus courage and hope to these families. And as we do that, that helps all of us become disciples. My entire Christian life, I have always had people who are older than me, mentoring me and discipling me and guiding me, and I have always had people who are younger than me that I am mentoring and discipling and guiding, and those younger people are discipling me right back. If you're younger or single, You can be the the big brother, the big sister, the stand-in aunt or uncle that the kids in these young families need. You can do that even by just saying hello to them in the lobby or praying for them. And it is so rewarding to be part of younger people's lives. Those of you who are older, you have wisdom and life lessons that young families not only need, they want from you. They want that wisdom from you. I was talking to a pastor a while back And his church is mostly people in their 20s and 30s, almost exclusively people in their 20s and 30s. And he says that if anyone ever shows up at that church that's over 50, he says all the people just kind of like flock to that person because they just want to be around older people. So then he asked me, he said, so could you come to my church and preach and just hang out once in a while, you know, to just be old in our presence? I can do that for you. I can be old for you. Check that box. 
because they just, they, 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 they want to be there. And those of you who are older, you need these younger families to pass on your wisdom to so that it doesn't go to waste and to be in relationship with younger people who kind of help keep you young and, you know, can fix your computer and all of those things. <laughs> a few months ago, we gave Bibles to our first graders, and the next day, a couple sent this picture to us of their, uh, of their uh, six-year-old son leaning over his new Bible, pouring over it. He wanted to take it to school the next day to show his friends that we want lots and lots and lots of that because this is how the faith gets passed down generation to generation. And this family and this little boy needs all of us, all of us to keep this fire for Jesus his whole life. All of us, when we baptize kids here, collectively we make a promise that we're gonna be there for these kids. We're gonna keep that promise. We're gonna be that church. In the next three to five years, we will equip our entire congregation to be fully engaged disciples, empower every generation to reach young families, and then finally, we will further develop our campus to serve the needs of our church family and the east side, starting with this room, which is inadequate. And we know it. It doesn't feel like a worship space. The acoustics in here are just bad and make everything sound weird, so we gotta fix that. But we have a history here of using our campus to bless the community around us. That's why this gym is open to the community. That's why the farmer's market is in our parking lot. So we want to we wanna figure out ways to continue to do that and extend that. Because Jesus sends us to bring his kingdom, we will focus on these three areas for the next three to five years. Lots of details how we're going to do that. We'll talk about that vision night on September 26th. But for now... Action step for you is just simply ask Jesus, where are you leading me to be part of this? Maybe it's to be in an all-in group so that you can grow as a disciple. Maybe it's to be part of our kids' or students' ministries because nothing changes your life like discipling someone who's younger. Some of our all-in groups may say, you know what, there's six or eight of us in this group. Collectively, we're going to do the second grade Sunday school all year long. And so, you know, each person won't be there every week, but throughout the year, they'll get a rotation, the same rotation of people because our all-in group, we're going we're gonna to own the second grade Sunday school. Maybe for you, it's to go on a global mission trip or be sent to your workplace or retirement community or coach soccer, but do it in a way that brings Jesus' kingdom, and we're going to support you in that. Maybe it's to pray or to write notes of encouragement to people who need encouraging. And if you're looking at this and you're feeling uneasy about this, or you're like, oh, I don't know, you're not feeling like, I don't, I don't, pray about that. If you don't feel like, I don't know where my place is, pray about that. If you're looking at this and you think, I don't like this, really pray about that. Because <laughs> Jesus is going to make you like it. I'm sure of it. And the reason we do this is because our mission is to participate in the supernatural work of Jesus to bring his kingdom here on earth, to make this earth look more like his heaven, to bring racial justice, to bring loneliness to an end, to bring people to Jesus, to create community that changes the world. The Bible says Christ himself gave us the apostles, the prophets, the pastors. This is an interesting verse. Why did Jesus make pastors? Why did he give us pastors after all? That's a good question. To do what? To equip his people for the work of ministry. We have had it wrong for decades. The American church Pastor's job is not to do the work of ministry. That's what we've been doing. That's not the pastor's job. The pastor's job is not to do the work of ministry. The pastor's job is to equip you, equip you all to do the work of ministry. That's what the Bible says. And we've had it backwards. 
And the promise is that when we do that, all of us, we all, the verse continues, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there. In other words, when we all participate in the work of Jesus, we become mature disciples. We become like Jesus. And then we are more stable in our lives and not being tossed back and forth by every worry, by every fear. Oh, my grades. Oh, my, my, my 401K. Oh, my job. I'm so afraid. We don't get tossed back and forth as much anymore when we become like Jesus. And we do that as we partner with him to bring his kingdom. There's a strong connection between purpose and joy. There's a strong connection between purpose and joy. You were made to participate with Jesus in bringing his kingdom. And when we do that, it brings purpose, which brings joy. Because God doesn't use us to get ministry done. He uses ministry to get us done. This isn't about just getting volunteers for our church. It's not about that at all. We have robbed people of the opportunity to be transformed by being part of what Jesus is doing in our church and in our world. This is how we change lives. This is how we experience more of Jesus' meaning, purpose, and joy when we participate in the work of ministry. One of, if not the most explosive period of spiritual growth in my life came after I had finished seminary. No, seminary was not an explosive period of spiritual growth. It came after that. And I switched careers to get a PhD in literature at Stanford to be a professor. And then one summer, I came up here for the summer to be adjunct at SPU. And I got invited to a party. And I met a recent Stanford grad. And when he found out that I was at Stanford, he said, oh, 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 there's a college ministry there connected to a church, Menlo Church, and they're looking for volunteers to lead a Bible study for college students. And I said, oh, I go to that church. Which was a generous description of my church-going habits back then. It was more like I dropped in quarterly. So I was a churchgoer, right? But when I got back in the fall, I volunteered to lead a Bible study of college guys. And leading that group made my faith grow. They'd ask questions I didn't know the answer to, even though I'd been to seminary. And I had to search scripture to figure it out. They entrusted me with their deepest secrets, fears, and shame. And I felt the Holy Spirit move through me to bring healing for them in that. I did not change their life. God changed their life. But I got to be part of the supernatural work of God, that God was doing. And then the college pastor started to notice I had some gifts for ministry. And so then she decided, she started saying things to me like, you are in direct defiance of the sovereign will of the all-holy God, not being a pastor. <laughs> wow. How do you feel about that? Then a few years later, she left, and the church asked if I'd be the college pastor. And I said, no. And then they asked again. I said, okay, I'll do it for one year. I did it for five. And as I did that, an older couple came into my life, and they taught me how to pray. I mean, really pray. And really listen to God. And I started meeting every week with a man in his 80s, World War II vet, and he discipled me and mentored me, which as a young dad and a young husband and a young family, I needed his wisdom. And he gave it to me. I learned things from my college students about how to follow Jesus, all of which prepared me to come here. All of that spiritual growth because I went to a party where someone encouraged me to start doing the work of ministry. I go to one party and poof, I'm a pastor. <laughs> but I am so grateful because it's a bigger life. In spite of all my sins, flaws, and failures, and they are many, I've been able to participate in the supernatural work of Jesus to bring his kingdom. 
and it is so deeply rewarding. And many of you know this because you are participating as well in the work of ministry in our church or where you live or in your office or in your family. God has been doing these things all along, but he wants to extend it so that everyone is part of bringing his kingdom because this is what we were made to do. When my wife was pregnant with our first child, we got a dog, super stupid, bad timing, don't do that, right? And the dog was half whippet, which, and whippets are a racing dog. So lots of energy in this dog, right? And then we started having kids and we got busy, got harder to give the dog chances to get all that energy out. You know, I, I would take it running, but the dog didn't like the leash, so it turned around and bite me and all that stuff, right? But if the dog would not, if the dog didn't get the energy out, it just, it just, it went off, it went haywire, went off the rails. It would chew everything. It wouldn't obey no matter what we did. It wrecked the furniture, Right? And, it, and I, we tried to get the energy out, but the dog didn't like to run. So then instead, I figured out something else to do. Every couple of days, I took the dog's favorite chew toy, and I would hold it up above my head. And the dog would just jump and jump and jump, trying to get the toy. And it loved it. The dog just loved that. Right? Like, I'd pick up the toy, and the dog, do I get to jump now? Right? And it, just, and it was very handy, actually, because I just had to hold it like this. And, you know, I'd be, like, talking on the phone, Right, and the dog would jump and jump and jump, and I'd read a book, and the dog would jump and jump and jump. Right? And finally, it would get tired and then settle down, and I'd give it the toy, and it would be fine for a couple of days. The dog did not have an obedience problem. The dog had a purpose problem. It was made to race. And when it didn't race, it went off the rails and started chewing the furniture. It didn't have an obedience problem. It had a purpose problem. We were made to partner with Jesus to bring his kingdom. And if we aren't doing that, we have a purpose problem and we'll start chewing the furniture, metaphorically speaking. God invites us into so much more. There is nothing so dangerous to the devil's plans as a church fully yielded to Jesus Christ, which is why, Bell Press, I see beautiful things ahead. I see a church filled with disciples who are becoming like Jesus and experiencing more of his courage, hope, meaning, purpose, and joy. I see thousands of people who do not know that the God of the universe loved them enough to die for them, finding a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I see a truly multicultural, multi-generational community loving each other across their differences, a thing so rare that people will flock to Jesus, the Jesus who makes it possible. I see a church where families are thriving and showing other stressed-out families that it is possible you can flourish through Jesus. I see the chains of poverty and addiction and loneliness and racism falling off of people because how we, as, as well as other churches, participate in the liberating work of Christ. An anxious world needs a confident church. A fearful world needs a courageous church. A divided world needs a united church. And a hopeless world needs a church filled with disciples who bring the hope that only Jesus can bring to our world. And with God's help, we will become that church to carry his love and his healing wherever we live, work, play, or learn until the earth is filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you give us this amazing invitation. You could have done it without us, but you have chosen to do it with us. So Lord, help us to be your disciples who carry your hope and healing wherever we go so the world will know that you are Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.